Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can just gather together and worship you and reflect upon your glory and your majesty and your gospel. Lord, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, you dying on the cross for my sins and restoring me to the Father, does so much more than give me eternal life. But it gives me an inheritance. It seals me the Holy Spirit. It gives me the Spirit here while I live on earth to be guided. Lord, I pray that we would never take your gospel, your death, and your resurrection for my sin for granted. We are here for fellowship of believers. We are here to stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. We are here to hear from your scripture, and we are here to give you glory and praise, and to thank you for purchasing our souls in full. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this morning. We lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church family. My name is Dwight Waldrop. I'm one of the elders here at Calvary. We'll be reading out of Ecclesiastes chapter 6, all 12 verses of the chapter. If you'd like to turn there, I'm using the New American Standard, 1995 edition. Uh, If you'd like to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, and follow along as we begin. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it's prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, But his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered with obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything, and it's better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This, too, is futility and a striving after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known that man, what man is, For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility, and then is the advantage, what then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after and under the sun? May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Dwight. What's your reaction to that passage? <laughs> it's a little bit uh, abrasive. And the first impression that we receive is just kind of a visceral reaction that we have. But I believe if we actually see it for what it is, if we look past our initial impression and actually see the scripture, it will change our lives. I would like to begin this morning with a quote. I hope you receive this. What matters is not what you have. What matters is that you enjoy what you have. 
What matters is not what you have. What matters is that you enjoy what you have. That is a principle that I see in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. And today I would like to talk to you about the vanity of money. The vanity of money really part two. Last week was the why. Why is money vanity? Now remember what that word vanity means. It doesn't mean meaningless. It doesn't mean futile. It means hevel. The Hebrew word hevel means a, a vapor in the wind. That money seems to satisfy for just a moment. But then its satisfaction disappears like smoke in the wind. Today I would like to talk about the vanity of money part two. Last week is the why, and this week is now the now what. What do we do now that we understand how money is vanity? True or false? I'd like to begin this morning with a true or false statement. True or false? If you handle money biblically, you can enjoy it, you can have it, and you can be satisfied in it. It's true. That if you handle your money biblically, you can have money, you can give an inheritance. A good man, Proverbs 13, 22, a good man gives an inheritance to his children's children, his grandchildren. You can enjoy it and you can be satisfied in it. And I'm going to add a little piece that we can also not worship it. For we can only serve one master, either God or money. That's it. That's the two choices that you see in the passage in the New Testament. But if we handle our money biblically, we can enjoy it, we can have it, and we can save it for later. But what gets in our way? What gets in our way of truly enjoying the blessings that God has given to us? This guy, the mirror, the person in the mirror. We in our culture blame other people. But really, realistically speaking, for us to enjoy money, all we have to do is just look in the mirror. And as I stated last week, we have a very unhealthy view of money. Can I just, can, I'm going to say that statement again, and I would appreciate you guys having a big amen to that one. We have a very unhealthy view of money. Amen. So this morning, I would like to begin with some money myths. Some money myths. It's going to be some more true or false questions. I have nine statements that I would like you to answer. And if you're bold enough to answer true or false, you can. If you're scared to get the wrong answer, I understand. You don't have to say anything. Okay. True or false, number one. This one's easy. Money buys happiness. True or false, money buys happiness. Very good. Some of the most uh, miserable people I've ever known are bazillionaires. True or false, number two. People... Get weird when you talk about money. Thank you. Okay. People get weird at church. Oh, he's preachers is hitting me up again. Okay, that's probably what some of you are thinking. True or false? Number three. One can enjoy money and be satisfied and even be wealthy without worshiping money. It's true. Number four. This one's controversial. Debt is a good thing. You may or may not know this about me, but at age 22, I picked up a book called Total Money Makeover. If you've ever read that book, uh, it's by a guy named Dave Ramsey. I picked that up about a month before I got married, and it has worked me ever since. And if you haven't read that book, I would encourage you to do so. And shameless plug, October 2nd, we're offering Financial Peace University if you'd like to know more. But Dave Ramsey says that the only debt he puts up with is a mortgage. True or false, number five. 
According to Dave Ramsey and a good calculator, in America, anyone, in America, anyone can be a millionaire. It's true. That if you save merely $100 a month from age 30 to age 70, that when you get to be 70 years old, you will have $1.1 million. Or, if you take the average car payment in America, which is $499 a month, if you take the average car payment and you put it into a Roth IRA from age 25 to age 65, when you get to be 65 years old, you will have $5 million. Number six, true or false, the hardest part of money is not how much you make. The hardest part about money is the mirror. Dave Ramsey says that 20% of being good with your money is head knowledge and 80% is behavior. Number seven, true or false, all your money is yours. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 5.19, furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given money, riches, and wealth, God gives us money to enjoy, to save, and to give. Number eight, true or false, a healthy view of money enhances our joy. True or false, an unhealthy view of our money enhances our misery. It's true. To be honest, most of us, to most of us, money is a curse. To, money, to most of us, money is something that we worry about, that we stress about, and it really is, at the end of the day, to most of us, just a curse. That we don't have enough, we don't save enough, we don't have enough for retirement, we don't have enough for social, from Social Security, we don't make enough to save in a 401k, we will never get ahead. We have that kind of scarcity mentality, some of us, or some of us, completely switch to the other end of the equation, that we have an abundance mentality, that we save too much for going enjoyment today for money tomorrow. We spend too much financing our children's future for a toy, a nice toy, a boat. Um, we obsess too much about our investments, about the rate of return, and we panic about it. Can I just say something? And I just want you to receive this. Because Solomon in chapter 6 and at the end of chapter 5, all he really talks about is money, the vanity of money, part 1 and part 2. In chapter 5, it is the why and now it's the now what. What do we do now? Because money seems to be satisfying in a moment but disappears the next. Can you just receive something? It is possible to have a healthy view of money. But there must be balance. You can enjoy money. Without worshiping it, you could save money for tomorrow and still enjoy it today. You can trust God with the future rather than obsessing over the daily stock price. And when you have a healthy view of money, you can save it, you can give it, and you can enjoy it, and you will not bow down to it. But it requires balance. And what I see in the scripture today is that balance. That Solomon last week gave us a proof. Why is money vanity? And I'll talk about it here in just a minute. And today he really gives us the now what? Now because of money, how it deceives us. How it makes us feel more secure than we really are. Because some of us can lose our money in bad investments. Okay, we've all probably heard people like that. Money is fleeting. But today he really gives us two pieces of advice to help us enjoy our money well. So if you have your text, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Chapter 6 We'll be looking at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 12. And before, as you, as you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and there's some strange 
almost harsh language in there that we'll explain here in just a moment. But let us kind of quickly set the stage this morning. Who, let me just ask you, who is the author of Ecclesiastes chapter 6? It is Solomon. Who is, who is Solomon? He is the authority on everything under the sun. I mean, think about it. He is the authority over sensuality, over money, over wisdom. Solomon can tell us in chapter 2 that sensuality will not satisfy. Why? Because the man has 700 wives. Solomon can tell us in chapter 5 that money is vanity. Why? Because he is the richest person the world has ever known. Solomon can tell us that we should embrace that life is short. Why? Because in chapter in chapter 1, because why? Because he's the wisest person to ever live. And guess what? He died. As I studied this text, and as I have been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, we are in the 8th week of a 15-week series. I will finish it in 7 weeks, believe it or not. I'm not going to be here until 2023. Some of you question me probably on that, but I ain't going to be there, I promise. I'll get through it. I'll, we will. But as I just reflected upon this book, I just said, you know, we should heed every single passage, every single verse in here. Because Solomon is the authority over everything that he explains in life under the sun. And what is Solomon's point? If, if you get nothing else out of this whole sermon series, I hope you get this piece. What is Solomon's point in the book? It is to have, yes, a life well lived, but to what? To simply enjoy life. You only live once. Life is too short to be miserable all the time. What does he say in chapter 2? But how can we truly enjoy life? Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God, for who can eat and who can have enjoyment without the Lord? That if you try to find satisfaction and enjoyment outside of God itself, you will find that those things are hevel. They are smoke. They appear to satisfy, they appear to be full, and then they simply disappear with the wind. And if you've been here for any length of time, then you're well familiar with this graphic up front. And I'm not going to go into the TMI version of this graphic, but I just simply want to point it out to you. And if you, if you actually thought about why I established the graphic the way it is, this is the boundary of life right here. So this is a life well lived. So this is the arena in which we are to live. And then what are the five principles to have a great life? To embrace, number one, that life is short. Number two, that life is just simply unfair, that there are injustices in life under the sun that we just experience every single day. That why, God, did you allow this? Why, God, did you allow that? That's just part of living in a broken and sinful world. Number three is because life is short, because life is unfair, what should we do? We should enjoy God's blessings today and not just tomorrow. But then we balance it all out. The author, the second character in this book that we see, that we will eventually get to in chapter 12 in 2023, maybe, hopefully not. But number four principle is to fear God, and then number five is to keep God's commandments. If you think about number five, it kind of balances it all out together. But in, and if you were here last week, really this week is a continuation of chapter five. Chapter six should really begin at chapter five, verse eight, but just moving on. Anyways, moving on. Okay. 
really, last week, Solomon corrects our view on money. And this week, he cautions us on our view of money. Solomon corrects our view. That one who loves money, we saw last week, verses 8 through 21, who loves money, will what? Not ultimately succeed. We looked at the person who is rich, who is greedy, who preys on the poor to gain wealth. And basically what Solomon says is, don't worry about those people. Don't worry about the greedy and the evil in the world. That God is just and he is judge and he is sovereign. One who loves money will not ultimately succeed, will not be satisfied. Have you ever met a rich person that's not satisfied? Uh... That is part of the American dream, and it is hevel. Yeah, that's all heard or wrong. Good job. That's right. Number three, one who loves money will only increase their problems. More money, more problems. Because money is fleeting. Money attracts buzzards. When people find out you got some dough, guess what they do? Woo, woo, fly around your house and look for it. Number four, one who loves money cannot take it with you, them. Naked I came into the world, and naked I shall return. And then the promise we saw in verse 20 of chapter 5, that if we handle our life and our money well, what is the consequence of that decision? That we will age without growing old. Verse 20, for he will not often consider the years of his life, because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. That when we handle life well, when we embrace that life is short and life is unfair, and that we actually truly enjoy God's blessings in life, that we will age and not grow old. That is true. I've known some old 30-year-olds, okay? Man, uh, <laughs> I look at a picture of myself like 10 years ago. Man, it's, I've changed a lot. Uh, maybe I need to chill out a little bit. Okay, but okay. Well, I've known some old and grumpy 30-year-olds. And I've known some really splendid and young 90-year-olds. A lot of that is just to do with the satisfaction and enjoyment of life under the sun. In our passage today, Solomon cautions us on money. We saw last week the why. Why is money vanity? And today, because money is vanity, what are we to do? If you have your text with you, notice it with me. Verses 1 through 6 is kind of part one, and then seven through twelve is kind of part two. And if you look at your text real quickly, verses one through six is part one, and you'll see an injustice of life under the sun. We call that life is unfair. That's kind of the principle that sums it up. And then verses three through five is an illustration of that injustice, and then verse six is his conclusion. Verse 1 introduces the injustice of life under the sun. There is an evil. Solomon is speaking here. It's really the preacher, the character in the book, Kohelet. Verse 1, there is an evil which I've seen under the sun, and it is prevalent. Notice that, prevalent among men. What does that mean? It, it is everywhere. Okay? Now, if you ever notice in your text, in the book of Ecclesiastes especially, when you see a phrase, either there is an evil under the sun, if you see that phrase, or if you see the phrase in verse 9, this too is futility and a striving after the wind, if you see one of those two phrases, I want you to kind of put a marker in your mind that you're about to hear an injustice of life under the sun. What is the injustice? That we see in verse 2. It is a rich man unable to enjoy his wealth. Verse 2. A man to whom God has given. Now notice that phrase. 
you didn't believe me that God is the one that gives us money, then it proves it here as well. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, status. This man has everything. Verse 2. A man to whom God has given everything under the sun, riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. That the man in verse 2, that we see the injustice that we see in his life, has everything monetarily in life. From an external perspective, the man in verse 2 is full. He is Jeff Bezos, okay? He has a yacht, and it's so big he has to remove a bridge, okay? He just did that for his ego, I imagine, okay? That this man in verse 2 has everything. He has a yacht. He has a private jet. He has a house in Malibu. I know they didn't have that stuff back then, okay? But there's still something that happens to him. Verse 2, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them. What is the them? What is the pronouns? Referring to what? The riches and wealth and honor. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. The word severe affliction means they're a malignant disease, a plague. What is the injustice? It is a rich man who is unable to enjoy his wealth. Now, we don't really know why he can't enjoy it. It doesn't explain it. We don't know if he's just unable physically to go on a cruise. I don't know. Uh, we don't know if somebody else has robbed all of his monies and enjoying it. We, we simply just don't know. But we do know what is happening, what the other part of the injustice is. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from his riches, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and severe affliction. The word foreigner in the Hebrew there is used 45 times in the Old Testament. And it's used in, a, in many different contexts. And it can mean a stranger foreigner okay that's not helpful um but i think it mean within the context here of any it could be even somebody here biologically related to the rich man in my opinion what it's talking about is the foreigner is talking about anybody else besides the rich man and his spouse yet god has not empowered the rich man to eat from his riches for a foreigner enjoys them this is vanity and severe affliction why has God given you a dollar in your pocket? To save it, please save your money. Do not hear me right. Do not go blow your life savings. Okay, on a toy this afternoon, saying that Byron told you to enjoy it. Please don't do that. Okay, to save it, right, to give it, and to enjoy it. The tragedy here that we see is that the man, this rich man, can't simply enjoy it, but a foreigner, somebody who's not, bi- not biologically related to this man, is enjoying his money instead. How many of you have ever, uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever experienced that? Where you have scrimped and you have saved your money. And somebody in your life, whether a financial advisor or whether a child or whoever it may be, spends and enjoys your money and you simply do not. It happens all the time. That is a travesty. It is a great injustice. It is a severe affliction. It is a malignant disease. Yuck. It happens all the time that we scrimp and we save and we scrimp and we save and we forego enjoying the blessings that God has given us today in hopes of retiring and hopes of enjoying tomorrow. And then we wake up to see that somebody else is living on our dime. It happens all the time. What are, some, what are some examples? I want to ask you. But two came to mind. Bernie Madoff. Okay, if you remember him. 
okay, and Enron. Those are just two examples of corporations and people stealing money and enjoying someone else's retirement funds for their own desire. What is Solomon's point? Verse 6. Notice it with me. For what if, even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to the same place. What is Solomon's point in verses 3 through 6? It is to enjoy your blessings, to enjoy it today. Notice the illustration of the injustice. We see the rich man, the injustice that Solomon is talking about, verses 1 and 2, and then we see an illustration. And Solomon is talking in hyperbole here. Because notice, verse 3, if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many lives, however many they can be. Let me pause for just a second. Um, Solomon is speaking in hyperbole here. Um, most of us, most men in the room do not have a hundred children, okay? We probably need to talk if you do, okay? Um, now, Solomon might have a hundred kids because he has 700 wives. By the way, could you imagine feeding a hundred kids? I have three and they make me poor, okay? Uh, going to a restaurant is just painful. But the man in verse three has it all. He has it all. Within the context of verses 1 through 6, the man that we see has every single blessing that we place in life under the sun. Outside of spiritual blessings, what are the three greatest blessings in life under the sun? Money, children, and long life. He has it all. But this man has it all. But if he fails to enjoy his life, it is futility. It is vanity. Notice verse 3b. But his soul is not satisfied. I'll back up to verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, he has everything. However many they may be. But his soul is not satisfied with good things. With the simple things in life. And he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say, better the miscarriage than he. For it comes in futility and goes into obscurity. And his name is covered in obscurity and never sees the sun. And it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Ouch. We, can I, we, um, I don't know what to do with that. We often skip the principle of the point. And we just stop there. What is Solomon really saying in verses 3 through 5? That it is, it is better not to live than to live and not enjoy life. Can I say that again? It is better not to live than to live and not enjoy life. It is better not to live than to be miserable. Um, I know I have said this. In the eight weeks I have been preaching the book of Ecclesiastes, I have probably said this next phrase, uh, I imagine, probably at least a hundred times. And if it's gotten old, good, because it needs to stick in your brain. I'm, I'm happy it's gotten old. Um, but can you receive this? That God wants you to enjoy your life. Can you just receive that? That God wants you to enjoy your life. He wants you to enjoy your work. He wants you to enjoy your family. He wants you to enjoy your resources. He wants you to enjoy your house, a haircut, a good cup of coffee, riding on a boat that you... Maybe, moving on. Um, 
Caught that one. Okay, filter. Um, he wants you to enjoy your car, your hoopty. He wants you to enjoy McDonald's. He wants you to enjoy life under the sun. Because it's better not to live than to live and be miserable. That's what I see in verses 3 through 5. Verse 6, even if the man lives a thousand years twice, he has every blessing, including a life that lasts 2,000 years. It does not enjoy good, simple things. Do not all go to the same place. You can live 2,000 years, and if you simply do not enjoy life, then you are no different than somebody that never lives past the womb. We all return to be like the dust. You will probably only live once. You will probably only live once. And I'm being sarcastic. You will only live once. Okay, don't believe I'm believing anything else. You will only live under the sun one time in your life. Your unhealthy view of money, your unhealthy view of life is not somebody else. It is in the mirror that we see every day. The conclusion, the now what, the vanity of money is the why, the rich man who loves money, verses 8 through 20 is, is the why, and then verses 6 through 12, or chapter 6, verses 1 through 12 is the now what. What's the now what? To simply enjoy. That's what he says. And then notice part 2, verses 7 through 12, we see an injustice introduced again in verse 7, and then we see an explanation of the injustice, and then we see the reason that we should live differently. And justice number two is not being satisfied. Verse seven. All of man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is vanity and striving after the wind. Solomon's caution is that there is always a danger that our desire outstrips our acquisitions. What is Solomon's point is to be satisfied. To enjoy and to be satisfied. That's the why. That's the now what. What do we do? Because money is vain. We should enjoy and be satisfied. Can I just preach and meddle for just a moment? The American dream has warped us. Can I get an Amen. It's warped us that we need more and more and more, a bigger house, a better paying job, whatever. You will die. And guess how much of that you can carry with you? A big goose egg. Let it go. Enjoy your life. Just the simple things. And be satisfied. Notice verse 8. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have? Knowing how to walk before the living, what the eyes see is better than the soul desires. What does verse 8 insinuate? That a wise person is satisfied with his labor and a fool isn't. Think about somebody that you've known to be very wise in your life. Somebody that when they spoke, you listened. Could be a parent. Could be an elder here could be somebody in the church. What does a wise person, what does every single wise person have in common? They typically have intelligence. They typically 
have different things, but they're always satisfied. I think about all of the wisest people of my life. They all have one thing in common, that they're simply satisfied with what God has given them, with their house, with their car, with their family. So enjoy life. And if you can't enjoy your toil, then guess what? If, okay, hey, let's be, um, I have had those jobs in my lifetime that I absolutely could not stand one minute of it, where I despised 100% of every part of my week. I've been there, done that. But guess what? You don't have to work in those kinds of jobs. We should enjoy our toil. You live in America. Guess what in this, in this day and age? Guess what you were going to be? You were going to be a farmer. You didn't have many career choices in Solomon's day. Today we do. So if you can't enjoy your toil, you can't be satisfied with what you do every single day. Find something else to do. Verse 10, be satisfied in what your toil is and what your toil brings you. Verse 10, whatever exists has already been named and what is known what a man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he, for there are many words which increase in futility. What in the world is it talking about? A constant longing for more is futility. And I'm going to add something to that. A constant comparison to others is futility. Whatever exists has already been named. And it is known what man is. Notice that, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he. Why argue? Why be insecure about who makes more money? Who has nicer things? Why argue? Or take the thought, whatever exists has already been named. It is a waste of time to compare your life to other people. That is the American dream. That if you work hard, you can take out a big stinking loan on a car and you can have the nicest car you ever wanted. Okay? That is the American dream. But who cares how you compare? Because guess what? Everybody dies. Sorry to be morbid. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's true. Your body wears out. You will pass away. Sin has introduced death into the world. It is known what man is in verse 10. Who, what are we? We are but balls of dust. And don't worry about those people who brag about their human accomplishments. Verse 11, for there are many words which increase futility. Don't worry about what other people have. Don't worry about what other people say. Don't worry about what other people may look and see in you. Don't compare your life. For it is known what man is. We are but balls of dust. I'm going to insert a quote here. This is a quote from... Tommy Nelson from uh, Denton Bible Church in Texas. I'm listening to the book of Ecclesiastes and him preaching through it. And if you haven't listened, they're really good. Go on YouTube, type in Tommy Nelson Ecclesiastes, and he'll pop up. Um, I was listening to a sermon, his sermon on this passage, and this is a quote that came from his sermon. I would like to share it with you. He says this, We learn too late what we should have known early. That life is not about acquiring and exhibiting. But it's the things you don't think are important at the outset. That you are faithful to God. Faithful to your spouse. That you love your children. That you enjoy simple things in life. A good book. A good cup of coffee. Good music. Good friendships. 
and to enjoy having all your parts working at the same time. Those who are not content, it's futility. What matters is not what you have. What matters is that you enjoy what you have. You can have it all. You can have status. You can have wealth. You can have health. You can have long life. Just like the man in verse 2. You can have every single thing that the world finds valuable. But if you do not enjoy it and you are not satisfied in your life, it is futility. It is vanity. It's striving after the wind. And why is it futility? Verse 11 and 12. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his, li- of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. I love that. For who can tell a man what will be after him? Enjoy life and be satisfied. My point today is enjoy life and be satisfied with your life, toil, and money. Why? Because life is short. Because life is like a shadow. He will spend his life like a shadow. Life is like a shadow. As a shadow shifts and disappears at night, so does life. Your life shifts. It slowly changes like a shadow to disappear when your number is called. And little is left to remember. For who can tell a man what it will be after him under the sun? Enjoy and be satisfied with your life, with your toil, and with your money, because life is short. It's his point. I was in uh, Panera Bread this week. I went back there. I, uh, I guess I got tired of Coke products. I went to Pepsi products. I don't know why I moved to Panera Bread. Um, and I was just sitting there at the table at this booth on Wednesday. And I just said, Lord, I mean, I, I literally saw the shadow verse in verse 11 and 12. And I just said, that's right. That's my life. I've lived 37 years. I cannot believe it. And I look a lot different than I used to. Okay. It's the stress in my life, by the way. I need to work on that. Um, and I just said, Lord, how, how can I simply enjoy life more? How can I be satisfied more? I sat at that table and I felt the Lord tell me three things. Number one, Byron, how can you enjoy your life more? Number one is to put away your phone. Ouch. Pay attention to your kids. Number two is to worry less about things you cannot control. Don't let what you cannot control ruin what you can enjoy. And then number three, smile and be nice to the people that you love the most. And then I heard, I felt like I heard him say this. He said, Byron, I've taken care of you financially, emotionally, and physically, so enjoy life and stop stressing over things you cannot control, stupid. I added that part. Um, Because money is vain, because it appears to be satisfying for just a moment, then disappears the next, and lowers, lowers the number in your bank account, and it gives you buyer's remorse, what should you do instead? Instead of finding your identity and your value and what the world says and the American dream, what should you do? You should simply enjoy and be satisfied. 
your job, your kids, your wife, your house, your phone, put it away, Byron, your car, the $5 you might have in your bank account is cool. Like, just simply enjoy life. Can you receive that? We like being miserable. Can I? We like it. It makes us kind of feel secure because I'm working really hard. And if I have a little bit of misery, that means I'm working really, really hard and I'm going to provide for my future. That's not biblical. You should save for tomorrow. A good man gives inheritance to his children's children. But being miserable all the time, life is way too short because your life is like a shadow. It will evolve and change and it will disappear with the night. That your number will be called one day. And that number may be tomorrow. It may be today. And if you look back from heaven and you see the years of your life, and you look down with sadness that you just simply did not enjoy what God has given you. That's going to be a tough spot. Before I close, I'm just going to quickly run through the application portion. I did some questions to think about this week as you go through the book of Ecclesiastes. Assignment number one is really question number one. Why is it so important to enjoy the simple things in life? What are some simple things to enjoy? Number two, what are some things that keep you from enjoying your toil, your life, and your money? Think about that one. What are some things that keep you from enjoying your toil, your life, and your money? Number three, how can you overcome those things? And then number four is to read through the book of Ecclesiastes again and come up with a timeless principle. Be satisfied. Enjoy. Can you receive that? Very quickly, I'm running out of time. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, if you've never repented of your sin and acknowledged him as Savior of the world, then you can come before him and receive him through faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, If you have questions about Calvary, if you have questions about how to become a Christian, feel free to see me after the service. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, this passage is so countercultural. It is striking. And to be honest with you, Lord, I, I think that's why we struggle so much to receive it. It's because we look at the Bible through an American lens. We look at the Bible through our fallen, probably middle class lens. And Lord, I, you know, the Bible is true. Man, it is so true. Every time I read it, it, it just strikes me as true. It's amazing how well that you have written your word to give us life under the sun. May we simply embrace it. May we not be miserable today. May we just simply set aside our phones and worry less and embrace and love the people that, we, that you've given to us to care for. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for Calvary. I thank you um, just for what you're doing here. Every week I come here and I am just encouraged and strengthened on how you're just working in mighty ways in people's lives. May we be good stewards of your will and your spirit. And may we be lights to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.